uh, in my message this afternoon, Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And now if we can turn back a few pages to Galatians, you know, how do you keep these books of the Bible straight? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You know what I've remembered? Maybe it's helpful for you. I think God's electric power company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, I told my sons that one day, that's the way I remembered the order, and they said to me, isn't it easier just to remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians? Well, for whatever reason, God's electric power company helps me. Okay, Galatians 2, sorry, 5, 22 to 26, the conclusion of the chapter. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it was actually on my flight from Brazil back to Canada a few weeks ago when I watched a documentary about former U.S. President Jimmy Carter. Some of you here are old enough to remember President Carter. He's always been an interesting character for me, and the documentary was titled Rock and Roll President because of the way in which he had musicians campaign for him and fundraise for him. And President Carter, if you know anything about him, was very explicit about his Christian faith. He often talked about his Christian faith, and he often indicated that what he did was the, the fruit of his belief in Jesus, his loyalty to the Prince of Peace. And towards the end of the documentary, there's a scene where President Carter is standing in front of the sanctuary of a church, and he says something like, and I'm not able to quote him uh, verbatim, but he says something like, the decision that every one of us must make is to determine what kind of person we will be. The decision everyone must make is to decide what kind of person we must be. And I thought that was an interesting phrase because he didn't say the thing that everyone must determine is what kinds of things we will do, but to determine what kind of person we will be. I think that's a question that deserves our consideration. I wonder for you what it means to be a mature Christian believer. 
I wonder how you envision someone who's very sanctified. What does that kind of person look like? What kind of, how does that kind of person act? Now, the interesting thing is that uh, Pathway Church is a Reformed church, and in the Reformed church, Blessings is a Reformed church as well, I find that we, we sometimes think of the Christian life in terms of the Ten Commandments, and it's understandable that we do so because uh, so often in our morning services, we read and we hear the Ten Commandments, and one of the doctrinal standards that we have here at Pathway a statement of faith is the Heidelberg Catechism, which treats the Christian life in terms of the Ten Commandments. And so it's natural that we uh, believers who have been, you know, schooled and discipled in these churches think of the Christian life in terms of the Ten Commandments. That's good. That's a good thing. But I also think it has some liabilities. And the liabilities are these, that we begin to think of morality, I fear, in the static terms of right and wrong rather than the dynamic terms of good and better. The liability, I think, is that we begin to think of the Christian life merely in terms of what we do and not sufficiently in terms of who we are. And I think as President Carter said, that we need to be attentive to the kind of people we are and not just the kinds of things that we do. Just think for a moment, what in your mind is a mature Christian believer? When I pose this question to people who've been discipled as I have in the Reformed Church, often you get an answer along the lines of, well, someone who obeys the Ten Commandments, someone who doesn't steal or doesn't lie or doesn't cheat, and that sort of thing, and, and all of that's good and right. But now envision a scenario that I encounter from time to time of a church leader, let's say, who checks all the moral boxes, who goes to church faithfully every Sunday, supports the church financially, volunteers at the church at every opportunity, but now suppose that this same individual who's morally scrupulous is cranky and cantankerous and complains a lot and critiques a lot. Is that a mature person? You know, I was so struck uh, this morning by the, the quotation from Rich Belotus that uh, Pastor Phil shared uh, in connection with reading of the law and I thought to myself, well, that, that's really a, a, an interesting quotation, and it's, it's right in line with the, the, the message I want to preach tonight. And, and so I said to, to Pastor Phil before the service, I said, where did you get that quotation from? He said, I got it from you. Th and then I sent it to you this week? I have no memory of that. But anyhow, the, the, the quotation from Rich Velotis, and I just scratched it down this morning, so I don't know if I have this exactly right, but something about, you know, when we meet the Father in glory... He will not ask uh, what sins we abstain from or whether we abstain from sins, but whether we entered into the joy available to us. That's along the lines of what I've been thinking about lately. Not just what sins have we abstained from, but whether we've entered into the joy available to us. I wonder if you're happy. Just keeping the traffic rules, but still being an impatient driver. Is that good enough? What about the husband who never mistreats his wife, never says anything mean to her, but can be cold and distant? Is that good enough? 
Is that maturity? I think we need to be attentive not simply to what we do, but to who we are. I think we should think of the Christian life not just in terms of right and wrong, but in terms of good and better. I think we should envision the Christian life as a life in which we grow and mature and, and exhibit by the power of the Spirit more and more virtues. And this, of course, is something that the passage talks about this morning, and, or this afternoon, rather, and so we want to look at it. How can we be virtuous people when we're battling the flesh and those disordered and distorted desires that we talked about this morning? Well, if it's a matter of the flesh against the human will, the human will will lose every time. Do you understand that? We can't enjoy any success in this battle with our own resources. If the battle is between the flesh and the human will, the flesh will win every time. Well, how can we experience some victory in this battle? The answer is we need the Holy Spirit. And so I've titled this message, and I worked hard, just as hard on the title as I did on the message, Power Walking with the Holy Spirit. And we'll see two things quite briefly the guidance of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit. First of all, then, the guidance of the Spirit. And you, you, you read in this passage uh, phrases like living with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. And in those phrases, we get the, the sense that the Spirit is the active agent and the Spirit is doing the work, and that's exactly right. I mean, there's a sense in which Jesus makes us sons of God legally and the Spirit makes us sons of God experientially. The Spirit sanctifies us and purifies us and directs us and guides us and works upon us. He is the active agent who is guiding and ordering and directing our lives, and yet we make a mistake if we think that we are merely passive agents because we don't only read about the Spirit leading us and about living by the Spirit. We also read about walking with the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. That envisions us as active participants. And so we must be busy if we are to mature. And part of that busyness is, of course, crucifying uh, you know, the distorted desires, taking our selfish impulses, our egocentricity, and nailing them to the cross, as we said this morning. But positively, we need to walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit and yield to the Spirit's leading. And how exactly do we do that? Well, I think we need to be informed by the Word of God. I'm always struck that in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, you find the, the command, be filled with the Spirit, in connection with singing uh, psalms, uh, hymns, and spiritual songs, be filled with the Spirit. But when you read the parallel passage in Ephesians, in that same context about singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and teaching and admonishing one another, it doesn't say be filled with the Spirit, but instead it says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And to me, that teaches us that to be filled with the Spirit is synonymous with letting the, the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. And so to be mature Christian believers, I think we need to weed and feed. We need to crucify those old natures. We need to uproot them, remove them, deny them, defy them, reject them, repudiate them, repent of them, but we also need to be fed 
capacity to feed ourselves with the, the Word of God. It's analogous to what Jesus says in his summons to discipleship. We must deny ourselves and take up our crosses. That's the negative. That's the, the weeding, the uprooting, the crucifying, the denying. But then we must also follow him, and that's the positive. I wonder how many here this afternoon are old enough to remember the WWJD phase. Do you remember WWJD? We had bracelets and baseball caps and whatever else. WWJD was an abbreviation for what would Jesus do? And it wasn't the most helpful question because Jesus, of course, was a first century Palestinian Jew, very unlike us. I mean, would Jesus take piano lessons? I don't know. Would Jesus go to see a movie? I have a hard time envisioning Judas Iscariot going to a movie, let alone Jesus. It was a completely different context. Secondly, he was the son of God. We're not the sons of God. If, if I'm visiting a parishioner in the hospital, it doesn't help me to say, what would Jesus do? Because Jesus might heal the person. Well, I'm unable to heal the person. And so I didn't find the question WWJD that helpful. But perhaps you know the name Dallas Willard. He rephrased the question in a way that I think is helpful and that is not what would Jesus do, but what would Jesus do if, he, if Jesus were me? What would Jesus do if he were married and had four sons and was in his early 30s as I am? I'm joking. I'm not in my early 30s. Um, I was afraid to disclose my age. I'm so embarrassed about how old I am. It happens to the best of us. But what would Jesus do if Jesus were me living in my locale with this family engaged in this kind of vocation. And that's all part and parcel of what it means to walk by the Spirit, letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, being fed by the Word of God, but then also imitating Jesus. And of course, it's the Spirit of Jesus that works in us. And there's something, I think, in this connection that's quite encouraging for us, isn't it? And it's uh, what we find in verse 16. It's part of the text this morning. But I say, Paul writes, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Notice the hope in that line. If we are doing this, walking by the Spirit, letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, imitating the person of Jesus, following His example, being resourced by the Spirit who leads us, directs us, orients us, then we will not gratify the desires of the flesh because often, I don't know about you, the desires of the flesh are overwhelmingly strong. But there's a way in which we can oppose them and be victorious over them, and it's by walking with the Spirit. So, you know, the flesh produces a crop, and we've talked about the acts of the flesh this morning, this ugly catalog of sins that Paul identifies, but the Spirit produces his own crop. And uh, with that crop, we can fight the flesh and be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And I want in the time remaining, therefore, to highlight four features of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about here. Four features, and I'll move through these quite rapidly in order, in order to honor the, the young boy this morning or this afternoon who was concerned about the length with which I preach. Uh, first of all, well, here are the four things. The fruit of the Spirit is internal, general, supernatural, and gradual. Those four points. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is internal, general, supernatural, and gradual. First of all, 
internal. And if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, and sadly we're not going to have the time to, to go through each particular word, but you'll notice that they don't only, the words don't only describe actions or even traits, they describe people. Uh, if you think of kindness, you could have a kind act, but you can also have a kind person. Somebody can do something gentle, but you can also have a gentle person. They're not just descriptions of conduct or actions, they're descriptions of people. And that's because uh, by nature we inherit the flesh and the flesh directs us, but on account of the new birth being regenerated, we are directed by the Spirit, and the Spirit changes us from the inside out. So it's not the case that we just do certain things without being new people. We become new people first, regenerated by the Spirit, and our character begins to change, and we exhibit these qualities, which are true not just of actions, but also of people. A good tree bears good fruit. So the Spirit makes us good trees, and as good trees, we bear good fruit. Secondly, the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit is general. And this makes the fruit of the Spirit unlike the gifts of the Spirit, which are particular and special. God doesn't give any one of us all the gifts of the Spirit. He gives one person some gifts and another person other gifts. And perhaps we can recognize each other's gifts and we can commend and celebrate the gifts in each other. You know, Pastor Phil and I spent some time together uh, this past week and he and I are, are are very, very different, I've, I've discovered. Uh, we're interested in the same things, but we live life very different, differently. And uh, whereas, whereas his life tends to be regimented, my life tends to be chaotic. Did, did you know that he creates a to-do list for every week and then a to-do list for every day? That just seems excessive to me. And he says to me, well, how do you remember everything that you're supposed to remember? And I said, well, if I forget, somebody tells me at some point. But we have gifts, and they're particular. No one has all the gifts, and yet the fruit of the Spirit is available to everyone, and all the fruit is available to everyone. The fruit of the Spirit is not special and particular, but general. Then secondly, in connection with its generality, it's also comprehensive. It touches every area of life. It's not just fruit for our spiritual lives or for our relationship with Christ. It's, it's fruit for the whole of life and, and uh, our conduct uh, at, at work or, or with our friends or anywhere else. And some people have argued that in this fruit, you have three different directions. You have a Godward direction and an outward direction and an inward direction. And that has some plausibility to me. If you look at verse 22, we might say that love, joy, and peace are Godward because the chief summons in Scripture is to love God. Joy is something we're to find in the Lord. We're to rejoice in the Lord always. We're to lodge our joy in the Lord and not in circumstances. Peace is, of course, uh, what, we, what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished uh, for us. We were estranged from him and alienated from him as enemies and he brought us near. Then you might say that patience, kindness, and goodness are other-directed. These are the kinds of virtues that we might demonstrate 
to others goodness, kindness, faithfulness, or sorry, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, and that the final three might be then inward-directed, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if that's true, and as I said, I think there's some plausibility to it, what it teaches us is that God wants the whole of our lives to be transformed by the Spirit, and it's unacceptable for Him that we might have a good relationship with Him, but not a good relationship with other people. And I think of that, I don't know if you know the name A.W. Tozer, wrote some books and some very good books. But I read something at one point that his wife wrote, and it made me grieve, and I've never been able to read another word by A.W. Tozer. His wife wrote at one point that her husband, A.W. Tozer, loved God, but sadly, she wrote, he did not love me. And to me, that is just tragic beyond description. And so the fruit of the Spirit, that Spirit is working in us, has this comprehensive nature because God wants to see the entirety of our lives transformed, our relationship to Him, our relationship to others, and even our relationship to ourselves. So it is internal, it is general. Thirdly, it is supernatural, which means that it's supernatural in origin. These qualities aren't just moral virtues, the person who exhibits this fruit isn't simply a nice person, but the only way a person could be like this is by the work of the Holy Spirit. Because by nature, we do not love God. By nature, in fact, we hate God. Paul says, Romans 8, we're at enmity with God. But when the Spirit works on us, we begin to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. By nature, we do not delight in the Lord. We delight in things, in gifts. But we are summoned to rejoice in the Lord so that whatever circumstances we might encounter, we might still be joyful. That's something the Spirit produces. And then, of course, we are estranged from God and alienated uh, from Him, and the Spirit brings about peace. Internal, general, supernatural, lastly, gradual. There's something organic about the fruit of the Spirit, something dynamic. It's not mechanical. It's not formulaic, but it takes time, and we need patience. And sometimes we can be impatient with ourselves at the rate at which we are growing or maturing or being sanctified, and sometimes we can be impatient with others at the rate at which they are growing and maturing, and we need to be patient all around because fruit doesn't immediately ripen you know, I've often thought that uh, Reformed Christians, those uh, who have been discipled in the Reformed Church, are very good at answering the question, what has Jesus done for you? And I sometimes think that we're not very good at answering the question, what is Jesus doing in you? Or what is Jesus doing through you? And maybe in this coming week, you could think about that question. I tell people who are in mentoring relationships, this is the kind of question you need to ask. If you're meeting with somebody in a mentoring relationship from week to week or from month to month, ask the question, what are you learning? What is God doing in you? What is God teaching you? What is the Spirit doing in you? What is the Spirit doing through you? How are you changing? But let me conclude with this. I think all this reflection on the fruit of the Spirit should generate in us, first of all, humility, 
Because if there is any virtue in us, if there's any victory that we experience, it's attributable to the Holy Spirit. It's not because we and our resources were capable of becoming uh, virtuous. It's the work of the Spirit. And then secondly, it ought to generate in us hope, I believe. And sometimes as a pastor, I encounter people who see themselves as victims of their past and victims of the circumstances of life. And they might say things to me, yes, I'm an angry person, I admit it, but that's because of my past. Yes, I'm an anxious person because of my circumstances, or I'm uh, um, a disillusioned person because of my circumstances. I think there's something truly hopeful in this message of the fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit can generate in all of us this fruit and these virtues, regardless of our circumstances and regardless of our past, he can bring out kindness and gentleness and joy and patience so that we never need despair. Well, I really did promise that young boy wouldn't preach too long. And so let me conclude with this thought. Why don't you think about this this, this week? About the extent to which Morality and Christian maturity is not simply about what we do, but about who we are. That Christian morality and maturity is not simply about right and wrong, but about good and better. That Christian maturity is not simply about obedience to commandments, but about exhibiting the virtues of the fruit of the Spirit. And so when you examine yourself, examine yourself in terms of the Ten Commandments, absolutely. But examine yourselves, yourselves also in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. And I pray that uh, in so doing, you'd be drawn to Christ, who is generous with his Spirit to help us become the virtuous person that he was. Let's pray together. Our dear Lord, we, uh, when we think of the fruit of the Spirit and imagine a person who has all of these characteristics, we realize that there is no person other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the only human, to exhibit all of these virtues, perfect in his relationship to you, and to others. But we know that the Lord Jesus has not only died for our sins and risen for our life, but that he has obtained the promised Spirit and has poured out the Spirit on the church to make us look like him and to make us act like him. And we pray, therefore, that over time, incrementally, to be sure, the character of the Lord Jesus might be more apparent and evident in us. So much so that there's something alluring and provocative about our lives because they're so different from the lives of those around us. And we pray that they would be so alluring and winsome that others might inquire about the source 
of our lives and of our joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and so forth. And we pray that we exhibiting this fruit might be contributing to healthier relationships and a healthier society beginning to implement, as it were, a little bit of the new creation on this earth, doing on earth as your will is done in heaven. Lord, we thank you for this day, for the wonderful testimonies we could hear this morning, for the opportunity to join voices and worship and praise, to assemble around your throne and hear the gospel of grace. And please strengthen us and equip us and motivate us as we enter into our ordinary lives this week. Please go with us by means of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, very appropriately, we're going to sing about